elected officials, business, nonprofit, philanthropic, academic, labor, cultural leaders. Where else do you get all these folks in one room to do great things and share ideas? And, and this is where you all are using your resources to do better and to do good in Chicago. Um, so, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, you, you pull together the, the right folks, um, and, and I don't want to take any more time, and I don't think you need too much more of an introduction, uh, but I am delighted to, to welcome you back to City Club, um, this, a speaker who continues to make this her priority, bringing the right people together to move the city forward, and she thought it was best to share her story and some ideas of what might happen next here at City Club. So please join me in welcoming... The 56th mayor of Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. My friend, thank you, Mayor. Welcome back. Thank you. The fact that you stand when I'm not in office, I guess means, I guess means you mean it. But uh, thank you, Dan, for um, that lovely uh, introduction. Thank you for City Club, and I'll give a round of thanks uh, at the uh, end of our time together. But I appreciate all of you coming out on this cold, but not too cold, day in Chicago. Um, And I especially appreciate um, all the leaders that are here uh, in this room. So let me frame the discussion for today this way. Every day... All hours of the night and day, residents in the city have needs that must be met. It could be a senior needing access to a good doctor, a mom needing child care, individuals struggling uh, with mental health or uh, substance addiction issues, or young people, children, just needing a safe, fun place to gather and just be kids. Who answers these needs. Hopefully in the first instance it's family or government. But we all know the reality that family's not always there. And we also know that government can't do everything. The reality is also that government is not always trusted. And particularly among those who are vulnerable, have been locked out and ignored for far too long. So who then steps into the breach. Uh, I think somebody's operating my slides. Can we go to slide two? Oh, I've got the clicker. That, that's always dangerous. <clears throat> well, in this city, we are fortunate to have a significant constellation of community-based social impact organizations that have been on the front lines, truthfully, for decades. They are trusted stakeholders. The organizations themselves are invaluable community assets and are the connective tissue in the vibrancy of neighborhoods. They are advocates, and they are champions. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that we would not have fared so well as a city during COVID without the active partnership of many of these organizations that helped us reach, educate, and bring needed care at the household and the neighborhood level. We owe them our gratitude and thanks. 
And let me just say, if you are a leader or a member of one of these community-based organizations, please stand. And folks, let's give them a round of applause. Please stand. <laughs> Don't be shy. <clears throat> this room was intentionally curated to make sure that the people that are in the front lines that have been doing the Lord's work in neighborhoods all over the city got the recognition uh, that they deserve. And that's the good news. But here's the challenge. And many of these organizations that are in the front lines need help. Amen. <laughs> the truth is they've had no break since COVID hit. And truthfully, if we're being honest, we will stretch back their diligence and service to the time that some folks in Springfield thought it was a good idea to go two years without a budget. That hurt every single social impact organization, not only in this city, but across our entire state. These organizations were just recovering from that debacle when COVID hit. And then the economy tanked. And then it experienced the same kinds of burnout and staffing shortages, funding crunches, and other organizational challenges that drove them to the brink. And if you are an organization led by someone who is black or brown or Asian or women, the data and research tells us that you face even more systematic challenges to getting recognized, getting funded, making sure that your hard work actually reaches the people who are most in need. Now, Ms. Tina, do I speak the truth here? Ms. Tina from Roseland and Phalanx. Pastor Matt, you're seeing the same things in Little Village, I suspect. And James, that's your experience in Belmont Cragen, right? And Carlos, where are you, Carlos? There you are, from Auburn Gresham. Same thing happening. I could name every neighborhood in our great city that has challenges, populations that are desperately in need of help. And the same through lines you're going to see everywhere. These organizations are doing their work every single day, oftentimes in the shadows without recognition. It's time we bring them out of the shadows. It's time we help in a big, profound way. <clears throat> we can't just sit on the sidelines and wring our hands. We can't just sit on the sidelines and hope that somebody else is going to step up into the void. Now, philanthropy has been there, and I want to credit the philanthropic folks that are here in the room. But more must be done. And we can't sit here and talk about being a great global city if we're not focused on these organizations um, that are doing the work that we all need to fund and support. So let me bring up our esteemed panel. Come on up, folks. <clears throat> So we have, to my right, um, your left, Aisha Jocko, uh, the executive director of Westside uh, United. Let's give her a warm welcome. 
and Craig Chico, uh, the President and CEO of the Back of the Yards Neighborhood Council. And Jay Stapleton, former Deputy Mayor for Education and Human Services, now serving as the inaugural Executive Director of our new initiative, Chicago Vibrant Neighborhoods Collective. Welcome. And I'll let them get into uh, their stories as we dig into the discussion. Now, to each of you, um, I've attempted to lay out what I think is a powerful and important theory of change, that these homegrown social impact orgs are a key to building vibrancy in neighborhoods, but that they face these systemic and structural challenges. So let's start with you, Aisha. Do you agree or disagree uh, with that premise? And if you agree, (laughs) what? What? This is a democracy. She can disagree. (laughs) So I think um, as we think about the work of Westside United, it was born out of hospitals, that industry, wanting to uh, provide a platform where they thought about their role in the historical disinvestment happening in communities in the West Side and it being riddled by um, racism and other elements. And so looking at their ability to serve as anchor institutions that could hire in, prof- in profound uh, amounts, that could invest, that could diversify spend, all impacting the region, was a way in which they saw impact. But the most important step in actualizing that work was setting the table for community organizations Mm -hmm. and residents who had been on the ground and knew where to go for the answers. And so in our model, community is embedded from the beginning when we instituted our inaugural planning committee. We have people like Darnell Shields that was a part of that in Austin. And we had residents that worked and or lived across the west side sit across from hospital leadership to dictate where social impact investments went, to dictate how we should support small business. Um, Another key example, Mayor Life, that we worked together Mm -hmm. on, and that was the Racial Equity Rapid Response Team. And I see my brothers and sisters in the back there, and you called one faithful Sunday night, or your team, (laughs) and, you know, the idea was that we needed to put together a strategy since Westside United had brought together public health, health care, community around the table, and the first thing we did was call Belmont Cragen, James Ruddick, Darnell Shields, Carlos Nelson, um, South Shore, uh, with Dr. Carol Adams and that team, because those were the true first responders, and they got to come to a table, and I don't mean to speak on your behalf, but I am you, so I think I got it, but... What I heard, what we heard, was for the first time in generations and decades, their voice mattered. It mattered in a way where they could drive resources and be impactful in a way that it wasn't dictated to them how they should move and think through, but they had the agency and the resources to activate that change. So to your point, we absolutely have people working. The genius in community is the solution. All the answers are there but they need the resourcing. And so in my work, in my example, I've been fortunate to work with hospital partners that get that and that believe in that and that see that in order for us to eradicate the life expectancy gap in Chicago, we have to work alongside community. So 
You're right on. <clears throat> what you're doing is very much activating that spirit. So a, a, a couple of things that I want to make sure I lift up. <clears throat> the, the, the title, The True First Responders. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. <clears throat> and the genius in communities. All right? Anyone who says that these communities have nothing, they don't have resources, they don't have innovation, they're missing out on a lot. So, Craig, let me turn to you. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your story and how you see the challenges that an organization like uh, Back of the Yards uh, Neighborhood Council is facing. Well, thanks, Mayor. First of all, I, I think you did a great job in framing what uh, not-for-profits are to a certain extent. And, and I wanted to add to that. Um, in the Chicago area, there's about 40,000 non-for-profits, and their total assets are around $190 billion. Now, let me give that a little context. You know, it may be a little misleading because some of those are hospitals and educational institutions, but 40,000, that means there's a lot of us out there, even if you divide the number, that are doing the on-the-ground work, the door-to-door work. Uh, in our case, uh, at the back of the yards, um, it was homegrown, and I, I don't mean to jump the gun, but the organization was incorporated in 1939 by a park supervisor by the name of Joe Megan, and uh, the godfather of uh, organizing Saul Alinsky. So they were formed large, in large part to take care of immigrants who were coming to the back of the yards area largely because of the stockyards. There were jobs, there were unskilled labor, that you didn't need to have an education or money to get a job there. So it was the Ellis Island of the Midwest. And so we, uh, our organization started to take care of people that had no voice for themselves, absolutely none. Uh, unfortunately, today that still existed to, in large part, but what we're doing now is so diverse, like so many of these other not-for-profits, we just don't have the, the resources and the manpower to, do, to be really, really as good as we need to be and as, want, as good as we want to be. We are that first place that people, first door people walk through when they need or want help. They're not going to get on a bus, go downtown, get an Uber, go wherever. They, they're going to go where they know someone. They come to us. We, so we provide a lot of different services. We provide services for seniors. We do rails in their toilets and their bathrooms. We do bus rides. We do computer literacy. Um, we do, we manage four economic development agencies, like special services. We do a lot of things, but we could do it better. And people deserve to get it better. If I didn't have one person in the office next to me doing bookkeeping, becoming my HR director, being my events coordinator, doing all those backroom operations, and being my person that records and, and reports, it's very difficult. I'm not alone. I know all you guys, like yeah. Michael and, and, and... You see a lot of heads uh, nodding in the room. Uh, <laughs> if we weren't doing all that stuff all at once, we could be out there talking to people and reaching, touching souls like we should be. So that's what, that's what we're about, and that's where we intend to go, but just do it a little better as we get a little further. So, so, Jay, what, what is this new org uh, <laughs> called Chicago Vibrant Neighborhoods Collective? Tell us a little bit about that and, and why um, you believe that it can really address some of the challenges that we've heard from our friends across the city. Sure. So the goal of Chicago Vibrant Neighborhoods Collective is to help build thriving, safe, healthy neighborhoods by investing in the very community-based organizations that we've been talking about. And when I say investing, I'm very specifically talking about investing in capacity building and technical assistance for back office functions that are often not fully funded by grant dollars or programmatic dollars. So often these community-based organizations are... Um, putting as much as they can, all of the manpower, woman power, as Craig was saying, towards their programming. And you have a couple folks in the back office who are wearing many different hats. And these organizations don't have the funding or the capacity to be able to think about what do we really need in that back office function for us to be sustainable. 
These organizations are experts at what they do. They know their communities. They know how to make their communities thrive. Where they really need support is building out that infrastructure in terms of budgeting, finance, diversification, marketing, communications, data and analytics, things that often are not included in grants. They're lumped into an overhead that's capped. And so what CNVC, uh, Chicago Vibrant Neighborhoods Collective, is aiming to do is to provide free technical capacity, uh, technical assistance, and capacity building services for small and medium-sized community-based organizations. And we are taking an equity approach and are focused primarily on communities that have been historically uh, seen his, uh, disinvestment historically. And so that's where we're starting. So, so why um, the back office piece of this instead of you know, the programmatic work or something else? Well, what we have seen, um, what, I, what I have personally seen through my time in government and also in my time working in the nonprofit sector is that th- that's where the need is. There are capacity building funds that are out there. They're often tied to a specific funder or they're tied to a specific program area. And we at CNVC believe that there is an opportunity uh, for outsized collective impact if we're bringing folks together at the neighborhood level, helping them share lessons learned, helping them connect across the nonprofit sector, but also with private sector folks in their community who might be interested in getting more involved. And so in addition to the capacity building services that we're providing, we will also be playing a convening role uh, similar to what uh, Aisha and Craig do in their respective neighborhoods. Uh, That convening takes time, it takes effort, it takes money, and so we'll be uh, hoping to provide that in partnership and directed by our uh, community-based organization clients that we're serving. Great. So, so Craig, you talked a little bit about um, having one person that's a little more than a Swiss Army knife. Um, <laughs> if, if, why is that a, a challenge for your organization in terms of building sustainability? Well, we don't. If you have that many hats, you don't do any of them well or well enough. And that's not our mission. Mm-hmm. Our mission is to go out there and provide services for people and help people that are in need and or want our help. So if you're not, if you don't have the time to go out and see somebody, it's because you're doing inventory or you're doing janitorial or you're doing IT or you're doing whatever else. You're not doing your your real. You're not providing the mission. You're not living up to your mission. And that's what we need. We need a little bit more help to uh, in the accounting, in the IT, in the HR, all those things that we just can't afford to do if we were a Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 company. And I think our work's pretty important, as we've all discussed. And I think we need to figure out a way. Way to get to that work and get it a little better. So, so Aisha, picking up on that same thread, um, what are you seeing as some of the systemic barriers that what Westside United <clears throat> has faced, and how are you addressing those issues? Um, so, when we think about the systemic barriers that we faced, there's a 14-year life expectancy gap between where we sit and Tim Westside communities, and so when we think about that, that's been underway for the last. <clears throat> Post 70 years. And so, in order to undo that, it takes a reckoning, like our healthcare partners have done, mm-hmm. to think through their role in that and to be very uh, intentional about ways in which they undo it in partnership with community. So, that was step one to making some of the progress that we've made um, to address barriers of historical disinvestment. So, when we think about our partner, hospital partners being, if combined, they'd be the number one employer or the number one, the largest employer in the state of Illinois. So, we began to ask questions or the question, what if? What if we just took a, a goal to redirect 1% of those hires to Westside zip codes? 
what if, and we, when we think about our impacts, we think about economic vitality, mm -hmm. because we believe that if you put a health clinic on every corner on the west side, but you don't address the economic viability of residents, you're not going to see the change. Mm -hmm. So we know that it's a multi-pronged approach. You have to think about access to jobs, wealth building. You have to think about the sustainability of corridors and businesses. You have to think about supply chain diversity. You have to think about education and access. You have to think about the key drivers in life expectancy when we think about health conditions. So we're looking at infant mortality and we're looking at hypertension management. So we have this cacophony of, of, of issues and metrics that are driving us to this end goal but the success is rooted in working with the people. And so when I think about examples like Garfield Park and the Sankofa Wellness Village mm -hmm. and the work that you did mm -hmm. there in terms of some mm -hmm. of the corridor revitalization uh, in 2019, and if we fast forward to today, this is the community with the lowest life expectancy, the community that I grew up in, and what we have seen is community saying, I've been doing this work for 30 years, but I don't have access to grants because I don't have the right back office mm -hmm. to sustain a federal grant, or I don't have the bandwidth to hire at this, a, a certain level. Uh, but what you also see more so than that is a vision. And so our ability to come in as a partner to help activate something called the Sankofa Wellness Village was because of people like Angela Taylor, who's a lifelong resident, who's been there with her markets, who's been there with her gardens. And so it's about this fusion and addressing systemic barrier, again, lending into the genius of the people. So when we think about the village, you've got the YMCA co-located in a building with Rush University Medical Center. You've got Erie Family Health. You've got Equal Hope. And they're a national model and movement for breast cancer disparity in Chicago. You've got Westside United. We'll be headquartered there. You've got a bank. You've got a cafe. In this community in Corridor that hasn't seen seismic investment since the riots in 1968. So what we have is a rebirth and this table being set with community. So they're driving and we're bringing whatever we have to help build. So when we think about this work of CNVC, did I get that right? CNVC, um, it's just a, 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 another seed being planted to build and lift off so that that village becomes the epicenter of growth and a model for the entire region. So for us, it's about an all-hands-on-deck approach, yeah. everybody coming with their toolkits and everything that they have to elevate in the name of community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... So, Jay, back, back to you. you. You mentioned capacity building, and we know that there's a lot of efforts out there um, that have been funded by lots of different folks around capacity building. How do you see um, this initiative, the uh, CVNC, being different? What sets, what sets us apart? I think what sets us apart <clears throat> is, first, uh, that we are co-building our technical assistance plan with our clients. So as Aisha was saying, you know, these organizations have the genius, they know their services, they know their communities, and so they need to have an active seat at the table from day one. It's not a capacity building effort that is, um, you know, for, for example, and, and this is not, all of these capacity building efforts are needed. So the, the first of all, I think, I, sh I guess I should start by saying the need is great. And we have some things that are out there that are 
truly making an impact, and it is a drop in the bucket. Mm -hmm. This is not something that has been traditionally funded um, from the public sector or (coughs) philanthropy in a large way until very recently. So we're very happy that those efforts exist. We're looking to learn from them and partner with them. Also, what we've heard is that, um, you know, many of these efforts, as I said, are focused on um, organizations that work with a specific funder that provide a specific type of service. Um, Funders will hear, oh, there's, I mean, you know, this is, uh, you know, something that I've participated in myself and that we did on the city side. Uh, We know that many organizations struggle with the... um, financial and budgeting bookkeeping that's needed for a federal grant. And so we'll hold a workshop to provide information on how to better do that, which is great. What we've heard from organizations is that they, that, that light touch is not always um, enough to help them make a real difference in reaching sustainability. Many of these organizations are still working from grant to grant. So uh, Chicago Vibrant Neighborhoods Collective is looking to work with a small group of organizations to start so that we're really doing a deep diving, deep dive, a sustained engagement where we're working with our clients to understand what they need. In addition, we're looking across that neighborhood level at following the lead of community and understanding where we can play a convening role to help folks be better connected both within the sector and, as I said, with the private sector as well so that we can have greater collective impact at that neighborhood level. So, so Craig, uh, I've been watching the room. Lots of people pulling their checkbooks out. (laughs) (laughs) Business cards being uh, distributed. What's your message to the folks that are here uh, that will watch the live screen of how they can help your organization, Back the Yards Neighborhood Council? What do you need right now? You know, I'm fortunate that I've got a great board. Many of them are here, and I don't want you guys to diminish your giving at all. But um, obviously, we, we need assistance financially. I'm so tired of that message, and you're so tired of hearing it. But 10% admin doesn't cut it for what we do. It just doesn't. And, and so we've got to fundraise. Um, we do a budget. We try to incorporate as much in it as we can, but there's always other expenses. You all run business. You run your not-for-profits, which is a business. You realize that you need extra money. You need gap fillers. And so we, what we need is, you know, a lot of people want to volunteer their time, and we're appreciative of that, but I think really the support we need is financial. And to do what we talked about doing, to get us the additional help in bookkeeping or IT or, or whatever it is. You know, we, we need people to think the way they did during COVID at the beginning of COVID, where philanthropy and corporate and government led the way in helping people at the greatest time of need in the history of the city. That is unfortunately diminishing right now because that money's starting to go away. We all feel it. We know it. We see it. So now we've got to revamp ourselves and recreate the way we fund ourselves and, and fill that gap. And that's, I feel like, the biggest heel in the room at saying that our need is financial. But it is. I'm not, I can't lie about it, and that's what it is. So um, my chairman is out there. He's a, he don't stop giving, so thank you. <laughs> Aisha, what's your pitch? I second that. Um, <laughs> so Westside United, we are becoming our own 501c3. We've been incubated. <laughs> We've been incubated at Rush University Medical Center, um, and that's been a blessing. Equal Hope has also followed that path, and if you look at the national trajectory of both of our works, uh, our missions, it's imperative. So for us, we also need support. We are a convener for the region, but we have a model that could be for the city. 
And so if we're able to increase, we can have a South Side United, a North Side United. We're also a national model. So we, we share our learnings with cities like Milwaukee um, and other places. So we have a national model right here in Chicago, and it would be great to have more industries beyond healthcare join also. So we also need other anchor institutions and industries. So when we talk about hiring, um, and we look at our bottom line at 1%, what would it mean to have tourism and hospitality and other places joining in to help expand how we hire and provide sustainable, family-sustaining wages? Um, we have partners like the American Medical Association and other anchors that are doing their part, but we need more. We need support for you all. Um, when I think about the Civic Consulting Alliance, and for us, that they were our CNVC um, coming in as we got launched. And we, we would not be, I say all the time, what we've achieved in five years would have taken ten without that support and insight. And so when I think about the work that you're going to do, you're going to bless so many uh, uh, smaller organizations in that same trajectory. So for us, we're becoming a separate entity we are a convener. We have a national model. We're here on the west side. We need to sustain our back office operations as a 501c3. We need to continue the work. We need Sankofa Wellness Village to be a phenomenon that can be spread across. And so if you support you us. made Lisa Snyder Fave smile. So if you support us, we can help our brothers and sisters in North Lawndale. We can help our brothers and sisters in Belmont Cragen and so on and so forth. So for us, we need supports at all levels so that when we cut our ribbon as a separate entity, all of us in this room are here together because you've supported in some way. That's great. So let me answer uh, a question that may be on some people's mind. Why is the Mayor Lightfoot and her out-of-private-citizen Lightfoot time investing her energy in this initiative? Well, the answer is obvious. You heard it from folks today. Um, when I was mayor and we got the second-largest allocation of ARPA dollars of any city in the country, second only to New York City, I had a conversation with a minister on the west side. He was talking to me a lot about the challenges that that community, his church community, but the West Side community writ large, had gone through because of COVID. And what became very clear to me was that we needed to reach the block level. That's where we were really going to have most impact. And, yeah, of course, we could have gone to the uh, YMCA, we could have gone to the YWCA, um, MFS, United Way, but I wanted to make sure that we were putting resources and power into the block level. And what I learned from that experience was the only way to get that done is to invest in the community organizations that are there, thick and thin, through any kind of conditions, and are putting literally their lives, their resources, their reputations on the line. Now, I'm not going <clears> to... <throat> We're not going to pretend that we deliver programming. We do not. Our goal is to make sure that we're doing everything we can, with help hopefully from people in this room, to 
build sustainability, to build infrastructure, to make sure that organizations have data systems so they can tell their story about what their impact is, to make sure that they're not chasing a single funding source, that they have multiple funding sources, but they're building budgets and accountability, HR, uh, succession planning, right? How many organizations have you known where they had great leadership but something happened and then the organization tanked? Our goal is to make sure that we do everything we can to empower and be partners for the long haul, not for a month, not a webinar, not a conference, but walk through the journey with these organizations so that they can build their own capacity and strength. And we want you to be a part of that. Now, I'm looking at Jackie to say, is it time? But let me do a, a couple of quick things before I, before I part. Um, again, I want to reemphasize the ways in which you can get involved. We took the opportunity before you all gathered uh, to hand out on your chairs uh, a two-pager that tells who we are, what our mission is, and ways in which you can get involved. And we'll be here uh, for a while afterwards. Let me give thanks to uh, the City Club. Of course, uh, let me give thanks to Dan, uh, the amazing Amanda, and Madam Board Chair, uh, Jackie uh, robinson Ivy. <clears throat> let me also call out and thank our initial um, funders, the MacArthur Foundation, John Palfrey, Civil Madison, Tara Magner, and the incredible team that's really focused on making sure that MacArthur is taking care of home base here in Chicago. Thank you all so much. I got to also thank the Pritzker Pucker Family Foundation, who also has weighed in. We've got uh, Nicole McBride here. I um, also want to call out uh, a thank you uh, to Julie Wellen. Um, and the rest of you that are here, we're going to be knocking on your door, so it's time to join the Cool Kids Club. <laughs> Come and fund us. I want to thank uh, Ignite Blue, uh, my beloved uh, former colleagues, Kelsey Nulls and Caitlin uh, Delaney. Their hands are in the uh, arrangements for today's uh, uh, gathering. And I want to thank... Um, uh, Joanna Klonsky, who doesn't often venture out into the wild, <clears throat> but thank you for all the support that uh, you have given us on this uh, venture in this, in this launch. And thanks to all of you who I have spent time with uh, really since May, um, talking to you, um, f uh, really uh, trying to see, is this idea something we can do? Does it make sense? How do we do it? What are the needs? What's the best way uh, for us to make this approach? Um, you're too numerous for me uh, to name, but I am deeply, deeply, personally uh, grateful we all are. Um, I will say I've got lots of irons in the fire, and I've told my wife I'm not going to be like the starving man at the buffet and just keep heaping things on my plate. But of all the things that I'm doing, this is one that I am deeply, deeply excited about, um, and I'm going to commit myself to making sure that we are successful. Uh, thank you all very much. Somehow, I don't think Amy would let you. That's just me. Where is Amy? She's in here somewhere. She said she didn't know where she was sitting. Thank you, Amy, for lending Lori to us for a few years. And now that she's doing this, I'm sure all the not-for-profits. Is there a not-for-profit that's not in the room? <laughs> so sad, too bad, you missed it. Uh, hey, everybody. Let's give this panel another round of applause.
When I first heard about this, I was like, this is pretty cool. But now that I've actually heard about it, not that you didn't give me a good explanation, but <laughs> I said, Dory, to Dory, I said, this is kind of low-key ingenious, isn't it? It's pretty cool. And thank you again to all of the not-for-profits that helped, you know, with the seed. Because I was like, how are they going to do this without any money? Because, you know, I know everything costs. My dad said, you say it costs to live. So um, we have a few questions for everybody. Um, I know that there are a ton of community groups. Craig, you said 40,000 not-for-profits in Chicago, or is that in Illinois? Chicago. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, that's just a lot, right? Frank, I think we have some work to do at Northern. David, can we we (laughs) hop that up a little bit, you guys? Um, Let's get right into the questions of the Chicago Vibrant Neighborhoods (coughs) Collective, CVNC. I'm going to have to say that several times to get that right, but I'm going to get to it. First, and Dory, I don't know who you directed this question to. Is it to the panel as a whole? Okay, this is from Dory McWhorter. If you don't know Dory, she is a proud member of the City Club of Chicago. Omar, you don't have to you know, get on her. Uh, she is head of the YMCA of Metropolitan Chicago. So this is the question. Shared services and businesses Process outsourcing has been a strategy within the for-profit business for decades. How can this room help funders and supporters understand the urgency of the services for the not-for-profit sector? I don't know who takes that. Well, I I don't think they're any different, right? We know that in order to have any kind of strong organization, you have to have the infrastructure in place to build sustainability. It's not just about the end result, about the service delivery. And so... You know, again, Dory, you're one of the people that I, that I uh, called upon and bent your ear about this. Um, we know from lots and lots of conversations, our own uh, decades of experience here, that um, if you don't have the strength internally, whether it's budget, financing, HR, the basics, you cannot be around and you won't be around for the long haul. <clears throat> and I can't say it enough again. These organizations are vital to the health and well-being of our entire city. And we've got to make sure that we step up in this moment and help them. And so we're looking for professionals um, who are looking to volunteer their time or consultants um, that are looking for taking on another project that we we will pay you. Um, to help us in these vital areas and build out a suite of services. We're going to be going to uh, clients, talking to them about what their specific needs is, then crafting a plan of action and connecting them up directly with the consultants that we will pay for um, at no expense uh, to uh, the not-for-profits. But it's no different than in that regard, I think, than running a for-profit business. You've got to have the bones and the infrastructure in place. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> Nubia William, are you, Will, Will, Willman, are you here from Nubia. Latinos Progresando? Back there. <clears throat> you better be nice, Nubia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so her question is, given, and, and I don't know who this is directed to, so I'm assuming it's the panel as well. Um, given the increase of new arrivals, many not-for-profits are struggling with meeting their needs and those of longtime residents. Mm-hmm. What advice can be offered to the CBOs who worry it's not possible to support both demographics? I think no. you guys touched on this a little bit, but you can. No. Right. I don't know who's going to take that. Who, who wants to jump into the uh, deep end of the pool on that one? <laughs> I'll jump in and say that in our community, we're having a real struggle with that because there is a long, uh, there's a long list of people that have been living in this country undocumented for a number of years. Um, 
I don't want to get political and I don't want to get philosophical, but they have contributed to this economy and to this society in a lot of different ways and got nothing for it. They came here and worked out like, you know, a lot of our grandparents came here in whatever way they got here and struggled and struggled and struggled and got what they got. And we are here now today as a, as a you know, direct result of that. But, you know, there's a little, there's a little animosity going on right now because some migrants are walking across the border and getting rent, getting health care, getting food, getting shelter. Getting, of course, it's not enough. We're a humanitarian city where we're, we're, we should do what we can. But our community is uh, a little bit at odds with it. They're conflicted. You know, they're, people feel they're losing their resources. These are our resources, and what we give someone, we give less to ours. And so we're struggling. We don't have the answer. So, in short, I shouldn't have taken it because I don't have an answer, but um, <laughs> we're still working on it. Maybe with CNBC we can, uh, we can yeah. do a little better at it. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll take that a little bit, and I'm getting a look from the back of the room, but jobs solve a lot of problems. We have got to compress our federal... Uh, representatives um, to open up much more quickly opportunities for new people coming into this country to have jobs. It'll relieve all kinds of pressures across the board um, and will, I think, help eliminate some of the tensions that we're seeing blowing up in neighborhoods, not just here in Chicago, but really across the country. The answer is jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, how many restaurants, how many hotels, how many other kinds of businesses can't operate at full tilt because they don't have the people? So let's get these folks to work. I promise you that's going to be a quote later on today. Jobs solve a lot of problems. Lori Lightfoot. I'm just saying, press, I gave you one for free there. Uh, the, <laughs> the next question is from Michael McCauley from, oh, I'm probably going to butcher this, Glengle... Mm. Gang 11 properties? Okay. Um, the question is, how can we, the public, help drive more business, which means jobs and opportunities, to the underserved communities? In Chicago, it's jobs, more jobs. I know she just <clears throat> answered it, but I still needed to say Well, I mean, I spent about four years talking about that. Um, <laughs> but, but, I'll, but I'll repeat for those who missed it. <clears throat> Look, the reality is, is that there is a business case. Um, I'm looking here at Michael, um, but yeah. we spent a lot of time making the business case that businesses are missing customers and opportunities by limiting their investments to north of Roosevelt Road or east of Ashland. We have a big, huge city, lots of great people. I'm looking out at this crowd and knowing that many of you represent those neighborhoods that haven't seen the kind of investment that your residents and you deserve. We tried um, hard, and I think we succeeded in, in breaking down some of those barriers, but there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Make the business case, um, and hopefully they will come. But businesses can't be afraid, oh, it's risk, uh, I don't know, I don't know who to talk to, nonsense. I'm going to volunteer Michael Fasnock from World Business Chicago in his, in his waning days. I'm going to volunteer any of the business um, chambers across the city who are um, working hard every single day to bring opportunity to their neighborhoods, take the plunge. Do it. It's necessary. We build a stronger, more vibrant economy. We, re we increase the tax base, and we increase the, decrease the stress on taxes. Take the plunge and do it. Wow. <clears throat> There's... Somebody say something? 
Another question. It's call and response here, to you, Jack. <laughs> oh, that's Skeet. I don't know what he said, but if you all want to know that, it's his nickname. I'm just. Uh, what, what did you say? Another quote. Another quote, yeah. See, we're helping you guys out there. Um, this has been a wonderful discussion, and I literally can see some of the not for profit heads here with their wheels just turning. So that makes me kind of giddy on the inside. This is a great way to start the year. Um, why not have a sellout room where nobody can sit down because we're talking about something that we've needed to talk about, as Lori said, for four years? Um, if you have not updated your City Club membership, Omar will meet you at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. You saw him wave his hand, right? Um, I'm kind of sort of just joking, but not about that. It is important that we continue the conversations here in this room. Um, we are proud to say that this is what we exist for, to have these conversations so that people can, in an open forum, talk about these kinds of things. And we are, after all, Chicago. So, um, yeah, you can applaud for that. That's that's. <laughs> I am more than sure that this is just the first of a conversation. So to Jay and Craig and Aisha and to Lori, we thank you all. Um, I do not have your certificates. Um, they're coming. <laughs> We're good. It's the beginning of the year. I didn't sign them. I don't know, something. But you'll get them. I, <clears throat> Amanda will make sure you get them. Right, Amanda? See, that's why she exists, because she's so awesome. Um, I thank everyone for being here. One last thing. Someone said to me, hey, I just got lunch with somebody that they needed to have lunch with, a business lunch. And I was like, well, low-key plug for City Club, isn't that why we exist? <laughs> I mean, who has not come in this room and said, let's have lunch or had a meet business meeting? See, that's what I thought. Nobody put a hand up. That's why we exist. So please continue to um, think of these ideas. Um, think of why we need to be here. When Lori started talking about this, I was like, yeah, you know, it kind of went over my head a little bit. But now that I've sat here and heard this, this is awesome. And if all of this talent in this room, and there's a lot of talent in here, I know a lot of you and I know what you do. Um, if all of this talent pulls together and does what we need to do, Chicago is, I think Aisha said it, I wrote it down, wait a minute. I did, I wrote it down. Uh, oh, that we're a model for the nation. We need to be a model for something, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth, right? Lori said she's been talking about it for four years. Why not be the model for this type of thing, right? So thank you, Lori. Thank you, um, Jay and Craig and Aisha and everybody else who's been uh, a part of building this together. So, Dan, have I forgotten anything? Upcoming I, programs, if you I, I forgot something. i got to thank uh, Jennifer Kelly, who's been invaluable in our work. Um, if you if you're talking if you're looking for future programs, uh, MB we're sold out, right? Website, yeah. yeah, website, yeah. So, oh yeah, I'm supposed to tell you guys that. Stop asking me if you can get seats when you're sold out because I've been getting in trouble for that. <laughs> and I, I don't like getting in trouble. I'm not so much scared of Dan, but Amanda's a different story. <laughs> Amanda and MB kind of scare me a little bit. So stop asking me for seats. Because it gets me in trouble, because I can't really say no, and we don't really have them, and that's why you guys are bumper to bumper, because people are asking for seats. So um, if there's nothing else, um, let's continue the conversation. Um, I think we are just a few minutes over, but I think it was well worth the conversation. Thank you all, and we are adjourned. Be careful out there. Okay.